Welcome, everyone. Today we are speaking with Professor Tracy Brain, who is the Associate Dean of Experiential and Practice Preparation and the immediate past president of the Grand Rapids Bar Association. A true champion of justice and advocate for education, Dean and Professor Brain is a leader in the classroom, in the community, and in the legal profession. Professor Brain, it's an honor and pleasure to speak with you today in celebration of Black History Month. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Let's begin with uh, by having you share with us your life journey, along with some of the obstacles and challenges you faced on your road to success. Absolutely. Well, I was um, actually born in Great Falls, Montana, because my father was in the Air Force, but I grew up in Detroit, Michigan. And I uh, grew up to uh, raised by first generation middle class parents. Uh, both of my both sets of grandparents had migrated up from the south. And my parents, you know, were the second generation then to, to live there in Detroit. My father just retired a couple of years ago after 53 years at Ford Motor Company. And my mother worked for Blue Cross and Blue Shield. And that was kind of a, a typical kind of working class household in, in Detroit at the time. Um, I, I grew up in the 70s and 80s there. Uh, just to, to wonderful, wonderful parents and a great family. I did grow up in Detroit, you know, during the crack boom and the drug wars and the gang. Uh, wars and things like that. And so I remember my parents being very, very strict, uh, very hel helicopter before helicopter parenting was a word uh, and, and just very protective of me uh, in ways that I didn't understand at the time, but for which, of course, I'm very grateful now. And, you know, when I think back on my childhood, because they did such a great job, uh, I have to kind of think about obstacles or barriers because they certainly were there, but my parents took great pains uh, to make them their, you know, uh, problems and not mine. Uh, and, and one of the biggest obstacles, I, I think, was that, that this was all new to them, right? This, this, you know, the path that I was on was new to them. Uh, my, my maternal grandmother had a sixth grade education, never learned to drive, right? My mom and dad eventually graduated from, you know, college later in life, but they had never raised a lawyer before, right? And we didn't really have lawyers in our family. So a lot of the things that, you know, kind of middle class families take for granted, when you're preparing your child, you know, for success in, in any particular area, um, either weren't available at the same level, right, to my family because of resources, or they just didn't have the exposure, right? Um, so, you know, some of the things that I do with my, my kids now, just that wasn't even in, you know, the realm of, of what my parents knew about. Um, but again, despite that, they always made sure that my brother and I excelled in school. They were very strict about that. And at their own, you know, sacrifice, they, you know, tried to find the best, particularly educational programming for us. Uh, so fortunately in high school, I got into Cass Technical High School, which is, you know, one of the best high schools in Detroit, a public magnet school and, um, and, and a, a college prep school. So from there, I was able to go to University of Michigan. And that just, you know, again, opened my personal world uh, in ways that I only appreciated, you know, kind of down the line. Uh, introduced me to people from around the country and around the world who will both provide perspective and opportunities for me, you know, for years to come. So, so tell me about growing up in, in Detroit and then going to college at the University of Michigan. Was there any kind of a cultural shock or adjustment for you? Absolutely. So, you know, particularly when I grew up in Detroit, uh, I did not grow up a, a lot of, around a lot of uh, white people. I did go briefly to a, a, a private school for seventh and eighth grade. So I had a little bit of experience, but going from, you know, kind of being in, in a, a, um, a city that was majority, you know, African-American, at least, you know, in my world to a campus where, you know, I was one of relatively few black students, definitely was a culture shock. And I think it was for me uh, as well as for, 
you know, my white counterparts, um, you know, th that I encountered on campus. My first roommate moved out, you know, uh, after the first semester. She was from a suburb of Detroit and, and, uh, I, I don't know that her parents were too keen on her having an African American roommate. So I was, I had a, you know, single room, uh, by the end of my freshman year there at U of M. Um, and, but, but what it did was it kind of exposed me to some of the, the cultural dynamics or, um, racial issues that I hadn't necessarily encountered, right, coming up in Detroit because I lived in a, you know, relatively homogenous community. Um, and it not only exposed me to those issues, but also kind of gave me tools to think about them and to address them, right? So, uh, so for example, you know, just from little things, from having interesting conversations, right, in the common restrooms in the dorms about how often I, I wash my hair compared, you know, right, to some of my white counterparts, to more serious issues that would come up. Uh, I was a facilitator um, as a young student in a class called Vietnam and the Artists. And it was, you know, most of the students in the class were white and there were just a couple of us um, black students. And the issues that we talked about, right, surrounding the Vietnam War and that era in the country really led to some provocative conversations uh, as, you know, as well as uh, some confrontations, you know, that I had uh, with other students that, you know, again, were, I think in the long run, good for them and good for me. I remember I had a one counterpart named Elan in the class and she and I were buddies and we had a student come up to us and tell us that they couldn't remember our names. So they had tagged one of us Malcolm and one of us Martin based on our personalities because they couldn't remember our names. And, and we just looked at each other incredulously that there's only two of us, right? Like, you know, there's only, you can't remember. And, and we were really, you know, like our tags, really, you know, very different personality wise. But just kind of little things like that, um, you know, that would just happen along the way. But again, it kind of gave me a foundation for what to expect because it wouldn't be the last time that I found myself, you know, in a situation where I was one of the few people of color, you know, um, in, in, in a situation. So it taught me, you know, the, the, the term code switch is a popular term now. In, in many ways, it taught me to code switch. It, ta it taught me to be able to navigate that world of higher education at a predominantly white institution, right? And because again, I was from the heart of Detroit, you know, I still had very close ties to those roots as well. And that combination of experiences has actually served me well. And I hope, you know, um, really kind of helped or had an impact on the way that I interact with community now. So as a young uh, woman growing up in, in Detroit, a black woman growing up in Detroit and coming to Ann Arbor must have been intimidating. Was there something that, uh, anything in your life or anything at that point where you went, you know, I got this, I can do this. That's interesting. Um, and I'll say there are a couple of points. There was one in undergraduate and one in graduate school. So fortunately at U, U of M, even though I was, you know, one of relatively few black students, there was a very strong and, and close knit black community of students at U of M, right? Because, you know, there was the culture shock element and, you know, we were all at a predominantly white institution, many of us, um, all of our element. And because there were few of us, you know, we kind of banded together in many ways. And that, you know, was a lifeline for me. Um, so my sorority, Delta Sigma Theta, you know, and my, um, my dorm organization, the Bursley family, right? We, you know, we found ways to connect to one another. And that gave me a lot of strength. Um, then when I was in grad school, same thing, I went to University of Michigan Law School as well. And that was probably even more intimidating than undergrad because, you know, University of Michigan Law School is one of the top law schools in the country. You know, certainly, I, again, was one of the few black students in the class. And here I am, this girl from Detroit, you know, here with, you know, 
really elite, elite people coming from all over the country, getting into this kind of fancy school. And that was very intimidating. And early on um, in the first semester of classes, you know, if you all watch Paper Chase, right, it could be, you know, you have this yeah. um, serious professor asking, putting people on the spot in class. And so I was one of the first people to experience that in my contracts class. And I answered the question. I don't even remember what the question was. But my professor said to me, are you sure you haven't read this before? Because that was genius, Miss Weaver was my name at the time. And believe it or not, right, that more than anything else, it is, you know, funny to think that I got that much validation, you know, kind of out of that statement. But that's when I kind of took a deep breath and said, okay, I can do this, right? Like maybe I do belong here. And of course, afterward, all the rest of the students were like, oh my God, I can't believe you did that. Oh, and I heard somebody say, oh, she's so smart as though, you know, that wasn't the expectation, you know? Um, and so, you know, that kind of, and again, we also had a very close knit group of, of students of color at the law school as well. So, you know, again, I try to be that for students that I encounter now, both at the law school, you know, and younger students, high school students, et cetera, because uh, it was really, really important to me to have mentors in the field, right, that looked like me and that were very deliberate right about being about mentoring me about making sure that i was okay making sure that i knew i belonged there and helping me uh to kind of discover those things those little secrets that people who had grown up in this world might know but i didn't but i didn't know yet you know what i mean little tricks of the trade kind of thing yeah great mm -hmm. yeah in today's economy and environment what do you say and how do you inspire black youth today to see the value of a college education well, again, you know, being a first generation professional school, at least in my family, uh, I, I put a very high value on education. And I know that you know, a four year institution is not for everyone, uh, that people have different paths, different skills, you know, different destinies in that regard. But I tell students always pursue some type of higher education. And it's not just my opinion. The numbers don't lie. Right. People with college degrees make on average a million dollars more than people without college degrees. I was listening to a story just recently where the reporter stated that even during COVID, right, when there's been so much economic hardship, people with college degrees have not suffered nearly as much, right, right as others. And so again, I, you know, I, I try to be careful not to imply that only those that are able to get into four-year institutions and go to these elite schools, right, are, are, are valuable or successful or what have you, but that, in my opinion, the name of the game is to give yourself as many options as possible, and education gives you options, right? So for my own kids, my son wants to be a professional soccer player, and he's a heck of a soccer player. Like, he's a, right, just a really, really good soccer player. And maybe he will play for the MLS. Maybe he'll play for Premier League. Maybe he'll reach that goal. But I tell him all the time, whether your career ends at 15 or at 50, there's going to be a post, right, athletic life for you. And you need to have options, right? And so, you know, you should be prepared to get into University of Michigan, get into Harvard, wherever it is, get into Morehouse, wherever it is you want to go, right? Then if you get picked up by Manchester United, right, <laughs> you have options. Right. Education gives you options. And so that's what I try to tell young people all the time, no matter what you end up doing. You know, maybe you, you know, go a, a route where you start your own business and you know, what I mean, you go off. But at least you have a foundation. And you have something that you can go back to and something no one can take from you. And again, my experience was coming from inner city Detroit. Right. Like even now, I think back at the people that I met 
in college and in law school, like just literally life changing, right? I ended up working for Brian Stevenson in Alabama because he came to speak at my law school. I would have never met him otherwise, right? I met my husband on the first day of orientation at law school. You know what I mean? Um, so just just even the the things that, to which you're exposed again gives you options no matter what it is you decide to do in the long run. You know, today's uh, black youth are often misunderstood, and um, they have a lot of challenges statistically mm -hmm. and so forth. And what can what do you say to them? And and how do you say to them? Look at what I've been able to accomplish. What others have been able to accomplish. This is a possibility for you. Right. Right. How do you share that? And I think that's a great question because so many of our black youth you know don't think that certain paths are realistic for them um, and so that's why i'm always open to sharing my story because i come from you know a similar place as a lot of them now again one of the differences that i had is that i had a, you know not only a functional family but i you know i think an exceptional family in the sense that you know i had a big extended family in detroit generations of folks strong grandparents etc that are all and a lot of our youth for lots of different reasons right um are not always growing up in functional homes or you know with the resources that they need um but but what i i i do still try to be an example to them both in terms of saying i did this right i'm coming from a similar background you could do it but also saying I will do everything in my power to help you get there, right? So at least you don't have the excuse that nobody took interest in you, right? So I, I get that, you know, this path doesn't seem reasonable to you. You don't see, and so that's why, I, one of the reasons I think it's so important for young people of color to see people that look like them. Certainly the Barack Obamas and the Kamala Harris, like today's a historic day, I think oh, Michelle Obama, absolutely wonderful and they should see that. But that can seem far away, right, and, and episodic, right, you know, to them, uh, to many of us, because that still isn't most of our story, right? Um, and so I think even in everyday life, right, it's, it's important for as, as often as we can to expose our young Black kids to people who are doing a variety of things. And I think that's really important here in West Michigan, uh, even in raising young, particularly young Black men, but young Black women as well, in my life, you know, they, they sometimes get stuck in these boxes that society puts them in, right? So if they're not a Xavier Tillman, you know, off playing in the NBA, do you know what I mean? They kind of get lost, you know, kind of in the, in, in the shuffle here because they don't, they don't see a lot of people, right? Doing a variety of things, um, here in Grand Rapids. So I'm involved in things, for example, like a local chapter of Jack and Jill of America, which is an African-American mother's group uh, where we try to expose our kids to, you know, culture and leadership skills and, you know, um, African-American history, things like that. So that, that so that they know that as fortunate as they are, they didn't get there by themselves and they're not an exception, right? That they come from a history of resilience and excellence. And I think that because of the challenges that our young people you know, are facing, that the black community still faces, that gets lost sometimes, right? Um, and, and, and so I think it's important to tell the story in a way uh, where it's one of victory, right? Um, that, that, you, that you tell of the struggles and that you're honest about the struggles, right? But that you remind that the ending doesn't have to be, right? Um, tragic, you know what I mean, for, for everyone. And we have a long way to go. We're not where we should be but we've come a long way. Um, and so I think that's really important. So just last night at our scout meeting, my husband and I have a scout troop. Uh, my son and daughter are, are now scouts. And when my son who's now 14 and he was six, my, my husband wanted to involve him in scouts because he was a scout. 
And I said, well, we could do so, but only if we are troop leaders, even though we had no time to do it, right? But I said, first of all, I'm not sending him camping with anybody that I don't know. Um, and, and, but secondly, uh, if he's going to do it, I want to make sure that we also offer the opportunity to a wide range of kids, that he's not the only black kid in a suburban troop. So we invited kids from our church and, and kids from our community. So we have a, um, a, a troop that's made up of mostly black kids, but uh, from different socioeconomic backgrounds. And we try to expose them to, so last night we had Dwayne Davis, who was a you know, very influential and longtime music instructor uh, from here in Grand Rapids. He taught at Indiana University and his, his wife taught my kids piano. And he came last night to teach them the song Lift Every Voice and Sing, how to sing it and you know, how to read it, et cetera, et cetera. And it was impactful, you know, particularly the teenage boys weren't keen on you know, a choir lesson, but the fact that he spent time with them and he knew exactly how to interact with them. One of the kids, you know, cut up during one of the songs and he singled it out and got it back together and made him sing it solo. And, and, and so the fact that they're seeing somebody like Mr. Davis, right, who's so well respected and excelling the way that he did is impactful on those kids in a way that they don't even realize yet. You know what I mean? Um, so that's a long way to answer to your question, uh, but, but I know that our young people are, are, are struggling. So, you know, I try my best to, to both be an example and to show them consistent, regular examples of black excellence, right? Well, let's deep, uh, go into that a little bit deeper. You've recently only been named uh, by your colleagues as a lawyer of the year and your social justice work in Alabama was groundbreaking. How do you use those accomplishments to inspire young blacks that they too can have an impact and make their own history? Yeah, so I guess, you know, re related to, to my answer to the last question, um, I try to use those platforms, right? And, and it's funny, you know, you asked about, was there a time when I got to Ann Arbor when I said, maybe I could do this. And, you know, there's this, this, this term, imp imposter syndrome, where you have, you know, where there's women or people of color or people who are not normally in certain positions questioning, you know, their... Are they deserving of it? Are they worthy of it? Can they do it, et cetera? And again, I've been fortunate enough along the way, this was one of those instances as lawyer of the year, like, wow, so my peers think I can do this, right? So this, so again, that was you know, validating in a, in a wonderful um, way for me. And so I try to use every platform that I have like that, you know, cause I'm not one to kind of chase publicity or anything like that. But when those kind of things happen, um, and I get to be interviewed for podcasts and things like that. I, you know, I try to leverage, you know, the, the, any recognition that I get for, uh, for the work that I do. And it's, it's really wonderful because it's work that I would be doing anyway. Like I, you know, I, I am so blessed that most days I'm doing things that I'd be doing even if you didn't pay me. Right. And so to be recognized for that is very special, but in large part, because I then get to be invited into spaces that I might not otherwise. Right. So I had I had to laugh when I was reading the description, what you all were doing for the podcast that you were, you know, looking for influencers in the community. And I told my husband, I'm an influencer in the community. And he just I told you, I've been telling you this all along. I'm influencer in the community. Um, but 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 I think that term means something, right? So so and I think that if that's true or, or if that's to be true, it can't just be can't just mean name recognition, right? It has to actually mean influence and influence in a positive way. Um, and so, you know, like I said, I just try to use that, that recognition and those platforms to get in front of as many young people as I can, again, to both hopefully mirror success for them, but, you know, to, to also hold them accountable. You know what I mean? To say, you know, you, you, you know, tell me a story. Yep, I've either been there or I've seen that. 
right? And I'm here anyway. What else you got? You know what I mean? And so, because again, you know, the, the more that we can normalize excellence in the Black community, right, I think that, you know, the, the more success we'll see um, at all levels of, of achievement, hopefully. In conclusion, with the backdrop of Black History Month, what would you say to the Black youth of today about their role in society? Well, I begin by saying, you know what, you're up next. It's your turn. And the older I get, the more I say that when I talk to my students now, right, and they talk to me about issues and what's wrong with society and what's going on in society, I tell them, think hard about it. Think not only about the problems, but think about the solution, right? Because I'm getting older. I'm, I'm in my last, you know, kind of leg. I got a good 15, 20 years before I'm sitting on a beach, right, um, uh, back down south somewhere. Um, so get ready, right? And, and, and think about what your role will be and what your point of impact will be, right? Because I think that we learn as we get older, it's really easy to criticize, right? It's always easier to point out what's wrong, right? To, than to, to go in and try to fix it and try to come up with alternative solutions. So I would tell them to, to think about that, right? Um, and then I would of course remind them as you know, you see all kinds of uh, promotions like because of them we can and you know, where we come from in our history, just programming about our history, which is one of the things I love about uh, what McDonald's and others do with black, you know, black history month. Um, just again, re remind them of their very rich heritage and history. Um, and that as bad as 2020 was, right, or bad as things in their life may be on a given day, as bad as George Floyd was and Ahmaud Arbery and, you know, all of those things that happened or they're just heartbreaking and disappointing to know that they still happen, right, in the 20th century. Rihanna Taylor, all of that, you know, all those horrible things we still also have, right? all of the struggles that we have overcome over time, right? When I was uh, graduating from law school, um, Rosa Parks was still alive and she was giving a speech somewhere and I was getting dressed uh, to, to what and my family and I were getting ready to drive to Ann Arbor for the ceremony. And she was giving a speech somewhere and I was watching her speak and I was just overcome with emotion, right? To think about the things that she did and the things that my family did that made it possible for me to be where I am. And to me, that's one of the biggest lessons as we think about Dr. King, we think about all of our civil rights heroes, et cetera, et cetera. The sacrifices that they made, the things that they did so that we can do what we're doing. And I would just implore young people to just always remember that and try not to squander that. Um, and, and again, I, you know, I, I'd finish by saying what I said before. Um, not only would I ask them to do those things, but then I would tell them that I purpose, you know, every day of my life to help them do that as long as I have the energy to do so. Um, and so, you know, again, that's part of the purpose of our scout troop. I promise all the scouts that I will see them at least through right high school graduation and, and beyond if they need me. So I think it's important for people of my generation uh, to certainly share wisdom, right? Um, to certainly be an example if we can, but also walk alongside and, you know, kind of give everything we have to, you know, to leave a better place for. The next folks to come along. <laughs> well, thank you once again, Professor uh, Brain. Uh, it was wonderful talking with you. Once again, we've been talking with uh, Professor Tracy Brain, Dean and Professor at Cooley Law School.